Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This series is inspired by true events. The stories you're about to hear are fictional, and so are the characters who are played by actors. I'll be honest with you. There are certain murders I'm scared to discuss. It's it's just all too ugly. And I'm... I'm I'm scared what will happen to me if I do speak out. I'm not sure why you're digging up all this old stuff again, but I'd be careful. Don't say I didn't warn you, Nancy. I'm Nancy Clark. I was born and raised in the small Midwest town of Mount Pine. It was a great place to grow up. Lovely, picturesque, like right out of a movie. Still looks pretty much the same. Main Street is lined with little brick storefronts built in the 1920s. A teeny limestone post office sits at the end of the oak tree lined block. The smell of fresh bread from the bakery is always in the air. But even as a young girl, I was very aware that a lot of strange stuff seemed to happen here. I always wanted, I needed, to know more. At night, I'd sneak the newspaper under the covers with my dad's flashlight and read about the latest tragedy to hit our town. And I wondered, why did so many bad things keep happening? And it seemed to only get worse. When I was in high school in the mid-80s, We were losing people at an alarming rate. Horrible, violent deaths, unthinkable murders. There were so many deaths that I believed our town had to be cursed. It felt like we were being made to pay some awful price for something we'd done, but what? Then, the year after my friends and I graduated, the deaths seemed to just stop. 
I could breathe again. I could stop worrying. I went away to college, studied communications, and spent the next couple of decades writing for various publications. But life took a turn recently when I had to move back home to take care of my mom who was sick. She passed away earlier this year. As I was packing up my childhood home, I ran across some old newspaper articles that brought back the all-too-vivid and tragic memories of my high school years. And later that night, on the 10 o'clock news... This just in, a woman's body has been found in the woods behind Mount Pine Community College. A gruesome discovery in a north side home. Again, after 30 years of peace, Mount Pine was rocked with another murder. I, I tried to process this shocking news, and I couldn't help but wonder... Could this be the beginning of another crime spree? As I slowly cleaned out the house, I decided to revisit the murders that happened when I was in high school. Luckily, I kept detailed diaries back then. I wanted to see if there was anything that could really help me make sense of what was going on in Mount Pine today. So, I decided I'm going to talk to the people who were at the center of these stories. Police, teachers, even some of my high school friends who may remember some really important details from those years. Details I either forgot or never even knew in the first place. The stories I'm about to tell you are inspired by real people and real events. For everyone's safety, we're going to change a lot of the details and all of the names, including my own. And we're changing the name of our town. It's not really called Mount Pine. I truly hope I find some answers. At the very least, it might give us all some much-needed closure. This is The Murder Years. Episode 1, Lisa. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information, so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? 
This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your emergency? Hi, yeah, I, uh, I, I went back behind my barn to, and I think, yeah, there's a girl there, a young girl out there, and she, she's dead. It all starts on May 19th, 1984. Hours before that horrific 911 call comes in, teen life in Mount Pine is all that matters. Oh my gosh, I remember it like it was yesterday. That's Melanie Porter. In 1984, we are both 14 years old and freshmen at Mount Pine High School. Melanie's my best friend. May 19th, it was a Saturday. I looked it up in my journal and that day, I had just gotten done with being grounded for spending too much money on a blouse. Today, Melanie's 52 and owns a party planning business in Mount Pine. I got all my homework done, finished my chores, and uh, was super excited because that night, I was going to a party at Tammy's house. Her parents were going to be out of town at some Amway convention or something. I didn't go to that party, and I can't remember why exactly, but Melanie, she remembers a lot about how excited she was to go. I remember picking out what I was going to wear. took me, like, forever. Seriously. Around 7.30, I heard a honk outside. So I grabbed my purse, kissed my parents goodnight, then I headed out to Scott, who was sitting in his dad's light blue Ford Thunderbird, also known as the Blue Bomber. Scott was two years older. He was 16 and just got his driver's license. On the way to the party, Melanie says she and Scott go through Danny's drive through Scott has a fake ID, which he uses to buy Melanie some peach schnapps and a case of old Milwaukee for himself. Yeah, you could buy alcohol from the comfort of your own car back then and then drive. So then we drove down County Road H29 on our way to the party. In 1984, Mount Pine has a population of around 12,000 people. So pretty small, very rural, lots of farms and tons of lakes. In town, we have one pizza joint, one bank, one supermarket, and one high school. Our school is small and unassuming. A one-story brick box with narrow slit windows. It looks more like a prison than a high school. When we got to the party, Tammy's house was packed. There must have been like a hundred kids there. I remember some kids were playing pool downstairs. 
Some kids were drinking Everclear at the kitchen table. Some kids were smoking pot outside. Melanie says just before midnight, the kids with curfews leave. Kids like her and Scott, they're gone. I hear through the grapevine, others stay later. The last ones leave around 3 a.m. What happens next, no one sees coming. What's your emergency? Hi. Yeah, I uh, I, I went back behind my barn tooth, and I think, oh my God, she's so young. She looks really, really bad. There's a lot of blood, and her head is all smashed in. Please come quick. Officers are on their way. Police are dispatched to a location about three miles away from Tammy's party. Up until that night, we really didn't have murders in Mount Pine. I tracked down the first officer who arrived on the scene that day, Officer Pat Shepard. Back then, he has two months on the job and has never been to or worked a murder scene. I mean, there'd only been like four in the previous 25 years. Today, Pat Shepard is a sergeant with Mount Pine PD. He said he doesn't even need to check his files on the case because he remembers it so clearly. Since this was my first one, I was nervous. I remember I felt sick to my stomach. So I I arrived that day around 7 a.m. I found the body of a teenage girl behind a barn. And the 911 caller had no idea who she was or how she got there. She had been severely beaten in the head and face. Her jeans and pink tank top were soaked with blood. We didn't know with what, though, because there was no weapon nearby. It appeared she'd been killed somewhere else and dumped there. And it seemed like she hadn't been dead for more than a few hours. Then more officers arrived and searched the surrounding area. About 200 yards from the body in the woods behind the barn, an officer found a white purse. In it were a set of keys on a Duran Duran keychain, bubblegum-flavored lip smackers, a wallet with $6, and a driver's license. That's when we were able to identify our victim. 17-year-old Lisa Anderson was a senior at Mount Pine High School. She ran track and worked at Buddy's, the local ice cream shop. She was nice to everyone. Back in 1984, Detective Tom Wallace is the lead investigator on the case. Today, he's in his 70s and retired. Wallace agrees to talk with me about the case. This one... This one was hard. I knew the family. They were a good family, and they'd already been through so much. Detective Wallace is talking about what happened to Lisa's younger brother only a year before. He dove headfirst into Owl Lake, breaking his neck. He became paralyzed and eventually moved into a home where to this day, he's still getting round-the-clock care. Their mom, Mary, is now in her mid-70s. I asked if she'd be willing to speak with me, and she says yes. Even though it's still painful, she feels like she doesn't get the chance to talk about her daughter Lisa enough. So, I remember that day. Unfortunately, like it was yesterday. I was cooking scrambled eggs with Kraft singles and, um, oh, (laughs) and sausage links. Uh, And then, 
there was someone at the front door knocking. I was thinking, why was someone at the front door this early on a weekend? So I put the spatula down and walked towards the front door. But before I even got there, I saw Tom Wallace, uh, uh, well, Detective Tom Wallace, through the beveled glass. You see, we went to Mount Pine High School together. But, but I couldn't imagine why he was at the house. We sat down in the living room. His corduroy jacket stunk from cigarettes. <sighs> well, then Wallace said the words I... I will never forget. He said, I'm so sorry. But we found Lisa today. And she's dead. So Wallace kept talking. But I couldn't hear him. He was talking, but but my my eyes were, were scanning our living room instead. I was fixating on the things in the living room. That were leases. Like, like there, were, there was a pair of leases, white heads, by the front door. <laughs> and her blue jean book bag with buttons all over it. That was right next to the TV tray where she always did her homework. Then Wallace asked me when I saw Lisa last. And I told him it was around eight o'clock the night before. She said she was, she was going to a party with her best friend, Tiffany, and then she was gonna spend the night at Tiffany's. Detective Wallace learns the party was at the house of some girl named Tammy. I remember I hugged Mary goodbye, and as I walked to my car, I could hear her wailing. It was uh, pretty brutal. Detective Wallace tells me that next he goes to talk with the host of the party, Tammy, who happens to be in big trouble with her parents for having the blowout while they were away. Tammy tells Wallace she saw Lisa at the party, but all seemed fine with her. Tammy agrees to write down the names of everyone at her house. With her parents' permission, Detective Wallace looks around the home and property. A few red plastic cups still litter the floor, but much of the party's been cleaned up. He doesn't see anything suspicious. Within a couple of hours, the lobby at the police station is packed with really shaken-up teens. These kids look nervous. I reassured them they wouldn't get in trouble for drinking or smoking pot. We just wanted to ask some questions and try to find out what they saw or heard and if they knew what may have happened to Lisa. We audiotaped these interviews. After a lot of digging, Detective Wallace is able to track down some of those recordings. I don't want to get in trouble, okay, but Lisa gave me one of her, um, one of her California coolers, and she seemed like she was in a good mood. She kept asking me what time it was. I saw her outside. She let me use her lip smackers. We talked about chemistry class and how Mr. Cooper gave me detention for talking too much. 
few hours later, it's 15-year-old Bobby McCabe's turn, a tall and lanky kid with jet black hair. I saw Lisa playing pool with a guy I'd never seen before. And they looked like they were having fun. But then, I heard him ask her to go upstairs with him. And that's where all the kids were making out or having sex or whatever. And she said, no, I have a boyfriend. And the guy got mad, like really mad. I mean, he threw down his pool stick and said, you're a fucking cock tease and a fucking bitch. I'm listening to the Mount Pine PD's interviews with the kids who were at the party the night before, where Lisa Anderson was last seen alive. And investigators may have gotten their first real lead from 15-year-old Bobby McCabe. He just told detectives he saw some guy get really angry at Lisa when she turned him down for sex. And there's more. On his way out, I heard him say he was going to get her back for this. She will pay for this. So Bobby described the guy as late teens, tall, brown shaggy hair, and uh, he was wearing a concert t-shirt, but he couldn't remember which one. The interviews with the partygoers lasted into the early morning hours, but none of the other kids reported seeing anything strange or, or any of that exchange between Lisa and the angry guy. In fact, none of them even knew who that guy could be including my friend Melanie, who calls me completely freaked out after being interviewed by police. I couldn't believe any of it. I was in shock. I went back to my journal to see what I wrote about, about my interview with the police. This is what I wrote. I told the detective I saw Lisa at the party, and at one point she was behind me in line waiting for the bathroom. I told her I liked her charm bracelet, and she pointed out her favorite charm, which was a running shoe. Which made sense. Lisa ran cross-country and track. But yeah, I told the detective there was nothing weird about her or anything else that night. Good morning, students! It's Monday, May 21st. Tickets to the spring dance go on sale today. You can purchase them in the cafeteria during lunch period. Less than 24 hours after being interviewed by police, the kids are back in school. News of Lisa Anderson's murder fills the halls. It's the only thing anyone's talking about, especially one of my friends, Tatiana Campbell. She's a freshman like me. I couldn't believe it. I knew Lisa. I mean, you know, not well because she was older than us, but still... Oh, God, I remember this so clearly. When the bell rang, I ran to meet my friends at my locker. In the three minutes we have between classes, Tatiana, Melanie, and I are trying to truly process what happened to Lisa. Here's Melanie. I was telling them about the party, since neither of them were there. And I told them what I told the police, that Lisa seemed... I don't know, normal. I I told them about seeing her while waiting for the bathroom and us talking about her charm bracelet and stuff. That was the last time I saw her. Ever. 
Detective Wallace tells me that when the autopsy results come in, they confirm her cause of death is blunt force trauma. There was a lot of pressure to solve this horrible crime. I wondered, was it a crime of passion at the hands of a boyfriend? Or was it completely random? Could the kids be covering up for one of their own? And then, just like that, we got a break. Someone called in a tip about the guy who got mad at Lisa at the party when she turned him down for sex. His name is Nick Kerr, an 18-year-old kid from Northgate, the next town over. When he came in for questioning, he looked really stressed out and wouldn't make eye contact with me. I asked him, since he was from Northgate, who did he know at the party? He said he didn't know anyone there. He and his friend had heard there was going to be a big party at this house in Mount Pine. Then I asked him about Lisa. He said that he'd been playing pool with some other guy when she came up and asked if she could play the winner, which turned out to be him. He said they played a few games and he thought she was flirting with him. So when he suggested they go upstairs and she said she had a boyfriend... He felt dumb and embarrassed, and that's why he got angry. He also admitted he was drinking, but said he would never do anything to hurt her. It was all talk. I then asked him where he went after the party. And he said he went back to his house, and his dad was still up, so he could verify his whereabouts. Police ask Nick to take a polygraph. He does, and he passes. Although Nick's dad will still need to verify his son was at home at the time of the murder, it seems like Nick's not their guy. So we were thinking, if Nick Kerr didn't murder Lisa, then who did? Lisa told Kerr, well, allegedly told him she had a boyfriend. Her mom didn't know of any boyfriend. We thought, hmm, the person who'd know best would be her best friend, Tiffany Mack. 17-year-old Tiffany Mack is a senior at Mount Pine High School. I didn't really know her, but she was one of the popular girls. She had a reputation for dating a lot of boys. Anyway, Detective Wallace says he contacts Tiffany's parents and asks them to bring her in for an interview. Late Monday, Tiffany and her parents go down to the station together. When Tiffany and her parents arrived, she looked very upset. She went on to tell me how on Saturday night, Lisa walked over to her house, and then Tiffany drove them to get pizza. Then they went to the party. The plan was that Lisa was going to sleep over at Tiffany's house that night. But the sleepover never happened. I wanted to know why not. Tiffany looked at her mom and started to cry again. Then she said... Lisa just started seeing someone secretly, someone her parents would not want her to be with because he's not a good guy. I asked if he was at the party that night. Tiffany said she'd never met him, so she didn't know what he looked like. But Lisa told her she was going outside to meet him. And this was around 1 a.m. Then I asked if she knew his name. And she said she only knows him by his last name. Zimmer. Seventeen-year-old Tiffany Mack is at the Mount Pine police station with her parents. 
She's just revealed the name of her best friend, Lisa's secret boyfriend, Zimmer. Although she's never met him, she thinks he's white and in his 20s. So I left the interview room and entered the name Zimmer into the system. There was only one guy who seemed to fit the description of Lisa's secret boyfriend, and that was Tom Zimmer. He was white and 25 years old and from Tucker City, a town about six miles away. He had a lot of priors. But then I saw something that stopped me cold. He was currently in prison for breaking into a woman's home and killing her over her silver coin collection. So, it couldn't have been that Zimmer. If Lisa didn't leave with Tom Zimmer that night, I was thinking, who the hell did she leave with? It's now been seven days since Lisa Anderson was found brutally murdered. Her funeral is held at First Presbyterian Church, and it's packed. Almost the whole town turns out to pay their respects. We're all there. It was my first funeral, and it was so sad. God, poor Lisa's mother, Mary. You could tell how much she was hurting. <laughs> it was just the most devastating day. I just couldn't believe that my Lisa was gone. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, Malcolm Gladwell here. A little while back, I became obsessed with stories that fell apart. Specifically, Hollywood projects that fell apart and why they did. So I started calling up everyone I knew in Hollywood and asked them to pitch me their favorite idea, the one that broke their heart because it never got made. These stories were so good. 
and we decided to turn them into a series on revisionist history. We're calling it Development Hell, the dreaded phrase that no one in Hollywood ever wants to hear, the one that describes purgatory, where once promising scripts go to die. There's going to be name-dropping, celebrity gossip, endless digressions, a story that was way too shocking for the studios, one that was told from the point of view of an exotic pet, and about the wild ride we went on trying to adapt my book, Blink. I can't wait to share it all with you. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. After the funeral, most go home. Some go for pizza. That's what we did. And others, they choose to drown their sorrows at the Quarter Horse Saloon. What happens there changes everything. 911, what's your emergency? I don't know. I probably shouldn't be calling, but I'm the bartender at the Quarter House, and I just overheard something about that Lisa Anderson murder. I think there are two guys in here who know something about it. Can you send someone over here, like, soon? Detective Wallace says he gets the call and heads right over, with backup, just in case. Pulls up without lights or sirens. He doesn't want to give anyone the chance or time to run. Once we got inside, the bartender subtly waved us over to the end of the bar. She said these two guys walked in. She'd never seen them before. They ordered beers, she carded them, and then they went to play pool. And that's when the bartender indicated with her eyes the two guys were still there, back behind her and to the right. She said when they sat down at the bar, there was a program from Lisa Anderson's memorial service nearby. She heard one of the guys say, what a fucking night that was. She barely put up a fight. Then they both laughed. She said her gut told her she had to call 911 and report it. These guys looked rough. One had a long scar under his left eye. I noticed specks of dark brown on the one guy's Iron Maiden t-shirt. My gut was telling me it was blood. So I identified myself and asked him his name. He said, My name is Joe Zimmer. Joe Zimmer. I asked them if he and his friend, who'd ID'd himself as Mark Tolman, would be willing to come to the station with me and answer some questions. So, we were at the station, and I asked Zimmer some basic questions about himself. He said he came from a broken family. His dad, basically, was never around. He dropped out of Tucker City High School a few years before to work construction. Oh, and he said his brother, Tom Zimmer, was in prison for the murder of some lady, but he didn't do it. Then I asked him about the stains on his shirt and shoes. And he stopped and said it was blood, his blood. He said it happened on the job. I then asked him if he knew Lisa Anderson. And to my surprise, he said yes. I know Lisa. He said he and Lisa started hanging out a couple of weeks ago. They were having fun. It wasn't anything serious. I asked him if he heard about Lisa Anderson's murder. And again, he said yes. Zimmer said he even saw her that night. He said he picked Lisa up from the party and they went to his house. 
They were fooling around, and he wanted to do more than she did. So they stopped, and he drove her to Tiffany's. He said he pulled away before she got inside, so someone probably abducted her from Tiffany's front steps and then killed her. Disgusted and not buying one ounce of Zimmer's story, Detective Wallace says he goes into interrogation room three to see what Zimmer's friend, Mark Tolman, may know. I came right out and asked him what happened to Lisa Anderson. I was fully expecting him to say he didn't know, but that was not what happened. Tolman asked if he could get some sort of plea deal if he talked. And I told him, just talk and we'll sort that stuff out later. He said late Saturday night, Zimmer met Lisa outside the party and drove her to his house, where they drank some beer and fooled around. He said around 4 a.m., Lisa asked Zimmer to take her to Tiffany's house. But he didn't want her to leave. Zimmer talked her into going for a romantic walk with him in the woods behind his house before he'd take her to Tiffany's. Then, when she wasn't looking, he picked up a brick and hit her in the head from behind. She fell down, and then he smashed her head and face in with a brick several times until she stopped moving. Zimmer then called him to come over. When he got to Zimmer's house, Zimmer confessed. Tolman asked him why he did it, and Zimmer said because he wanted to see what it was like to watch someone die. Then Zimmer made Tolman help him clean up. They wrapped Lisa's body in a tarp and drove her to where they dumped her, not far from the party. So, if Tolman's account is to be believed, it seems like it was a senseless thrill kill. But Detective Wallace knows they'll need more they will need physical evidence to tie Joe Zimmer to Lisa's murder. They get it when they search Zimmer's car and find blood in the trunk that will come back to match Lisa Anderson's blood type. Joe Zimmer is arrested and charged with first-degree murder. His friend, Mark Tolman, is charged with being an accessory after the fact. He accepts a reduced sentence in exchange for his testimony. The trial begins on December 3rd, 1984. Joe Zimmer never takes the stand. On the sixth day, the case goes to the jury. They come back in one hour and 17 minutes with a verdict, guilty. Joe Zimmer is sentenced to life without parole. You could almost hear the collective sigh of relief reverberate from the ice cream shop to the public library. We felt like maybe we didn't have to be so on edge anymore now that he was going away. But still, her poor mom. Sure. He was going to be locked up forever. But that wasn't going to bring my baby back. Ever. That can never bring my baby back. It's true. Lisa Anderson is gone. And her murder, that first murder in May of 1984, changes us. So why did it happen? I mean, the Zimmer family produced two brothers who both became killers? Could it be chalked up to one messed up family? 
But if that was the case, those brothers were behind bars. So why did the murders still keep coming? Coming up this season on The Murder Years. 911, what's your emergency? There, there are lots of gunshots, but I think I just... Oh, my God! Oh, my God! I mean, it was like, how many more of us were going to die? And who would be next? I was scared. I mean, I, I just kept feeling it and saying it. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure I was a broken record, but I was really scared. They knew we had been through so much shit. So much death those last couple years, and so many of us were really screwed up in the head trying to process it all. I was starting to come around to thinking maybe Mount Pine was cursed. Somehow we managed to survive the murder years. Not everyone was as lucky. The Murder Years is a production of AYR Media and iHeartMedia. Executive producer, Aliza Rosen for AYR Media. Co-executive producer, Paulina Williams. Written by Leah Rothman. Directed by Michael Selditch. Original concept developed in partnership with Anne margaret Johns and Greg Spring. Casting by Eisenberg Beans Casting. Senior associate producer, Eric Newman. Associate producer, Jill Poshesnik. Editing and sound design by Tristan Bankston. Mastering by Cameron Taggy. Audio engineering by Matt Jacobson. Studio engineering by Jay Brannon. Legal counsel for AYR Media, Gianni Douglas. Executive producer for iHeartMedia, Maya Howard. Performances for this episode by Gabrielle Carteris as Nancy Clark. Kelly Dedman as Tatiana. Orla Cassidy as Melanie. Maricilda Garcia as Carla. Bo Kane as Officer Shepard. Annie Abbott as Mary Anderson. Carolyn Jania as 911 caller. Carolyn Jania as voicemail caller number two. Charles Carroll as Prosecutor Blythe. Desiree Rodriguez as 911 operator. H. Richard Green as Detective Wallace. James B. Kennedy as Young Principal Palumbo. Joe Pacheco as 911 caller number one. John Ralston Craig as reporter number one. John Ralston Craig as voicemail caller number one. Sarah Lasco as girl in police interview number one. Sarah Lasco as girl in police interview number two. Yudana Daniels as reporter number two. Zach Ma as Bobby McCabe. Zach Ma as boy in police interview. Additional voices by Alex Salem.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, or just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.